Well, nor, I had started the last two messages uh, with my grandson in my arms, but he fell asleep, so uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't take him away from Lonnie. But if you can imagine him being in my arms just a second, uh, I was going to have him here thinking that one day, he lives in Rogers, by the way, and uh, I'm praying that he would move to Texarkana. Uh, I, I hope his mom and, and uh, his dad are watching today, but they would need good jobs and move down here, and we'd love to have Henry Close. But we've enjoyed him the last couple of days. But one day, you know, he's going to look at Pops' Bible, and he's going to say, wow, that's, that's big. You know, where do you start? How do you know where to, where to read? And I was going to tell him what I've been telling you the last couple of weeks. Go to this Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, look in the chapters, those three chapters, what Jesus said, dozens of things in a short, condensed fashion about how to live a happier life and a life that's blessed by God. So the series is called Jesus Said What? And uh, if you were here last week, we talked about what Jesus said about uh, uh, keeping our word, making vows, refusing to retaliate. I mean, no, our politics could use a lot of that. It's getting violent out there. And lastly, we talked about loving our neighbor. Well, this morning we're going to talk about what Jesus said about giving, what Jesus said about prayer, and what Jesus said about forgiveness. And I think it's really going to help you. Matthew chapter 6, but as you're turning there, let me invite you especially next week. Uh, I try to, before every election season, and early voting starts Monday week, uh, as your pastor, I feel a moral obligation to provide a biblical perspective of the issues of our day. There needs to be more than just internet blips. There needs to be more than a letter from a, you know, a Republican or Democrat that bought your name and sent you a text or sent you something in the mail. I do my best to make the Bible relevant to issues of our day. And how many know the Bible has something to say about our immigration policy? The Bible has something to say about whether or not we should, uh, uh, how we treat the poor. Uh, the Bible tells us about managing our money and a, a litany of things. Well, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about our founders, their view of America, the value of your vote, and hopefully educate you uh, next week. So hopefully you'll be here. But if uh, preachers and politics, uh, if that really, really uh, tweaks you wrong and you don't like it at all, then please don't come next week. How about that? <laughs> but if I was, if I thought enough, of coming to church to learn from the Bible on a rainy Sunday, I would want to come and hear at least what somebody that's praised, that's biblically minded, that has a track record of serving the Lord for 40 years, what they think about it. And I think I can give you that next week. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. The first, Jesus encourages us to give to the poor and needy. Matthew 6, 1, Jesus said this, Be careful not to, and I want you to say this phrase, practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So now Jesus is talking about these outward acts that we do as believing people. He'll talk about giving. He'll talk about uh, a prayer. He'll talk about fasting. But what he's going to do is he's going to go deeper into the motive that our motive is not just so that people would see us or give us likes on Facebook. Jesus said, if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Uh, now, there's a balance in this. Matthew 5, 16, you remember just a couple verses ago when Jesus said that we're salt and light. We're to be a light for other people. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, live so people will see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. So uh, it, it, it's wrong to do good things that so people will see us. But yet at the same time, when we are genuinely in impurity serving the Lord, it's good that people see us and follow our example. 
So it's kind of a balance in there. Jesus is not just saying, don't let anyone ever see you pray or don't, anyone, uh, don't, any, don't ever let anyone see you give. No, he's saying let the motive of your heart be to God and God alone. And when people do see it, be an example that's the same in the dark as you are in the light. And that's the gist of this. Now look at verse 2. Uh, Jesus said, when you give to the needy, and it was a presumption that they would, would help the needy. That's very different than our culture. In our culture today, our government spends multiplied billions of dollars geared towards helping the people that are poor, the people that are in need. Some of it is very valuable and very well received and does great things. Other times it just creates the cycle of poverty and it just continues and keeps it going. Because I suggest to you a government can never do what people can do. I suggest to you a better way to care for people in our society is if churches would be more greatly empowered to be able to help people in the context of community, not just uh, uh, from a bureaucrat. But in their day, they didn't have Social Security. I'm grateful we, we, we have it today, but they didn't have it back then. They didn't have a food stamp program. They didn't have things that would help people in need. So the, the Jewish people were exhorted to help the poor. Now, Jesus said, when you do give to the needy, though, don't announce it with trumpets. Now, I don't think they had a literal, you know, trumpet on their, uh, attached to their side and say, here I'm going to give my dollar. Doo, 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 doo. But what I do think is I think, just like if you've ever been in a, whether it was a church service or some community event and they received an offering and they had a bucket come by and you had a handful of coins and dropped them in, everybody looks. Well, it was probably something like that, drawing attention to themselves. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, don't do this as the hypocrites do. We'll talk about that word. In the synagogues and the streets. Why? To be honored by others. For truly, I tell you, Jesus said they receive their reward in full. In other words, as a Christian, we can have an expectation that one day on this earth and the one to come, God's going to bless us for what we've done in our service to Him. I'm not serving the Lord for the reward, but I, I, I want to be rewarded one day for sacrifices that I've made. And don't tell me you don't. Because every time I've gone to an event with my kids, whether they graduated or a sports banquet, every kid in that room wished they'd have received those trophies. There's just something about recognition and honor that it's due. Well, the Lord says He wants to reward and honor us. Um, and our Father who sees what we do in secret will indeed reward us. Now, let me give you... A, the caring for the poor and needy is pretty much in the whole Bible. In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle, when he was commissioned to go to the Jewish world or Gentile world, his Jewish brothers said, we want you to remember the poor. And Paul said, no problem, I was eager to do that. Now, perhaps a few verses from Proverbs about helping the poor. Uh, Proverbs 14, 31 says, whoever mistreats the poor insults their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy does what? Honors God. So when you help someone that's in need, God sees and He honors that. Uh, chapter 19, being kind to the poor is like lending to the Lord. And God will reward you for what you've done. Yeah. It's like when you give away, you somehow end up more because God blesses it. But here's a warning, chapter 21, if you ignore the poor, when they cry for help, they'll also cry for help and not be answered. So again, there's a lot of trouble in today's America. I, I have real struggles when I see somebody standing on the side of the street with a sign. I've got to be honest with you, from experience, I've found that four out of five or maybe even nine out of ten are charlatans. But on the flip side, I can't let that, what's in my society, it bothers me when, when able-bodied people 
choose not to work because they want to live off of the strength of others. That bothers me because work is not punishment. Work is God's means for us to produce in our life, to have the joy and satisfaction of, of what we've done and what we've accomplished with our lives. Love, uh, work is a God-given responsibility on this earth. And there's some things about the poor that deeply trouble me, but I cannot let that shut my heart off to their cry because God cares about people that are in need, and so should we. Now, with that background, you remember Jesus said the hypocrite would help the poor so everybody noticed it. Now, a hypocrite is simply one who puts on a mask and pretends to be what they're not. And that's the key word. It doesn't mean they're evil, and it doesn't even mean they're deceptive. But they are pretending. Uh, if you read in our Bible reading this morning uh, from Gideon, remember the Gideonites, they came to Israel and pretended to be from far away, but actually they were neighbors. I mean, they disguised and they were cynical. I don't think the religious people that Jesus chided were, were like that. I don't think the Pharisees or the Sadducees, you see, these people preserved the Jewish scripture, our Old Testament. They preserved it from Malachi to Matthew, that's 400 years so that when Jesus and John the Baptist came on the scene, the, the Jewish religion was alive. Well, these people had good hearts, but somehow they had just lost it, and now they were going through the motions and pretending. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Uh, it began as a sincere love for God, and I've got to watch this in my life, but it degraded into simply religious acts, and it even happened when they did that, it would impress people. And that's why Jesus said, give in secret, don't draw attention to yourself. Jesus is not saying you shouldn't track your donations or use them as an IRS tax deduction. That's good stewardship. But what Jesus is simply saying is don't do everything you do so people can see you. If you do it for God to see it, then you'll be rewarded. Now listen, I believe all of us should have in our budgets, our monthly budget, money to help the poor. And if I could mention just a couple things, you know, again, there's a lot of things that you don't know what's going on in the world, but I like when I can give to somebody that I know firsthand it's going to get there 100%. I care about feeding poor kids, and I give every week. Uh, this is called Hope for Haiti. We have a missions work there in Haiti, and these little cans fill them up with change, and, and uh, uh, they have schools, about 20 schools in the Port-au-Prince area. Uh, uh, only education these kids get, and they feed them a good, healthy meal a day for guess how much? 30 cents. So I put all my change in this, as do many. You can get these in the lobby. And uh, it, let's see, in September, we sent $591. You say, well, that's, yeah, that's about 2,000 meals that kids will eat. And uh, I know that's going to good places. Let me give you some other examples. We got, uh, have got a group there in the lobby now has this cool shoe <laughs> that grows. <laughs> in other words, as your foot gets bigger, it can grow in size. Now, listen, I've got a closet full of shoes, but there's a lot of people on this earth that are barefooted. You hurt your shoe, you can't walk to work, you can't go to the doctor, you live in a dump or whatever the case is. Fifteen bucks puts a pair of shoes on somebody. That, our missions team's going to do that. I mean, we've got a house of grace that helps, uh, that our church owns, uh, uh, that your money helped buy. And we've got uh, women in there that are homeless or near homeless, uh, off the street, and we're helping them rebuild their lives. Uh, that rice and beans on this mission trip. Our church is sending over $12,000 on that trip from what you gave. We have whatever tithe you give. It's undesignated. We put 13% in an outreach fund. We add anything that's designated for missions. And out of that, we took $12,000, and they're going to Mexico to do conferences, to build churches. But they're also bringing rice and beans to feed people. So listen, the Florida hurricane, all these things, they're for needy people. 
And I want to encourage you, the heart of the gospel is to help people. Now listen, we're all in different places financially, but everybody can do something for the poor. Uh, we bring homeless people to church. I've watched some of them go to the a cappuccino bar. Everybody has money. You don't have to give a, you know, you, you can give a dollar a month, a dollar a week, a dollar a day, or a dollar a minute. Just depends what you have. But my point is, do something. Because when you care for poor people, Jesus is watching and he says it's an honorable thing. Come on, give him a good hand. Now let me broaden it a little more before we go. When Jesus talked about giving, broadly giving falls under two categories in the Bible. The first is the tithe, and the second is an offering. So if you're a Jewish person or a New Testament person, you read and you see these terms. For example, when we received our offering a few minutes ago, we, uh, Pastor Travis said, we're going to receive our tithes and offering. So there's a difference, and let me, let me explain what the, the Bible teaches. Tithing is giving the first 10% of whatever income we received, we give it to the Lord, and we give it at the spiritual storehouse, that is the local church, the place where we're fed. I have been doing this for 39 years. As soon as I get any kind of check or any kind of my, my wife told me today, she said, we got some gift cards and, uh, uh, from someone gave us, and she said, well, I'm going to pay my tithe off that. It's just got into us as a part of us. Uh, that tithing is spiritual, it's religious, it's not just for needs of the church, it's not for building payments, but it's a way that we honor God. And I'll tell you something I learned a few years ago from Pastor Robert Morris. He said, a tithe is not just 10%, but it's the first 10%. And however you distribute your money, before I write the mortgage payment, before I, you know, whatever payments that I do, the very first one I do is I write to the Lord, and it does something in me spiritually. This is not church fundraising 101. It is Christianity 101. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, yeah, there your heart is also. And if the greatest commandment in the Bible is to love the Lord with all your heart, well, guess what? Our money needs to flow. So uh, let me give you a few Old Testament scriptures. Tithing started not as an obligation, but as gratitude from the heart. Genesis 14, it's about Abraham. You remember Abraham uh, went out to battle and rescued his nephew Lot. And there was a man that lived at that day. His name was Melchizedek, priest of God Most High. And Melchizedek said, Praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies in your hand. And Abram did the strangest thing. He gave the priest 10%. He honored God through this man of God and gave him 10%. No rules, no obligations, just the gratitude of a person's heart. Somehow his grandson Jacob learned that. And in Genesis 28 verse 20, Jacob, his grandson. Now, Jacob is, is, is a trickster. He just deceived Esau. He conned him out of the family's birthright and their blessing. And now he's scared because his brother's threatened to kill him. And Jacob's getting ready to run off. And this is when he cries out to God. And uh, he said, he said uh, I made a vow that if God will be with me and watch over me, so I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. But listen to this. Of all that you give me, I'll give you a a tenth. Nobody t told me he had to do it. There was no law. Now, the law came later in Exodus. Oh, I'm sorry, for under Moses in Leviticus, the scripture says the tithe belongs to the Lord. So there's an obligation. So I don't give my tithe. I, I return what belongs to him. But the root of the deal is not I don't give because there's a need. I don't give because I'm supposed to. I give because I want to honor and love God. 
and I recognize that God is the center of my life. Malachi the prophet picked up the theme because the people, when they backslid, they forgot it. Because, I'm going to tell you this, friends, it's a truism I've observed over the years. Your heart will follow your treasure. If all my treasure goes in turkey hunting, I'm going to get a, a bigger lease, a better lease. I'm going to get a better gun. If all my heart goes in travel and vacation, uh, uh, my money's going to follow wherever my heart is. But if I begin to invest in God's kingdom, my heart goes there. Malachi chapter 3, God said through the prophet, you're robbing me. Well, they said, how? In tithes and offerings. Notice the two. And because of that, you're under a curse. And God said, you bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. There'll be food in my house. It's the local church, the place where you're fed. And then God tests me, and I'm going to pour out blessing in your life. I don't give for God to give me something. I give because I love him and to honor him. But in return, he blesses me. Now, here's one more I want you to see in where I'm headed. Jesus mentioned this as well. In Matthew 23, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, called them hypocrites, and said, you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. In other words, ten leaves on the uh, 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 ten leaves or ten tomatoes, you bring one tomato, but you ignore justice, mercy, and faith. And what did Jesus say? Say this with me. You should tithe. Yeah. But don't neglect the more important things. For Jesus, it was not about money, it was about the actions of the heart. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Let me give you a quick one on offerings. Offerings as a whole, an offering is what you and I give over and above our tithe. I don't believe you've given until you've returned the tithe. Uh, biblical offerings, there was a lot of them, but the ones we can relate to are helping the poor, supporting missionaries, building and remodeling the temple, and here's a good one, simply saying thank you to God. Do you realize people would give to God? It was called a thanksgiving offering. But listen to the heart of David. David was the great worshiper in Scripture. First Chronicles 16 said this, David said, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name, and bring an offering. Now, mind you, he's going to church. It was the tabernacle. He says, ascribe to the Lord, bring an offering, and come before him. And then what's it say? Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So here he's tying the offering to worship. And because of that, Linnell and I made a decision that every time we go to church, whether it's here or any other church and every service here, we're always going to give something. And we're not giving it because I want you to see me. I'm giving it because I love the Lord. And how many know he's the one that's worthy of our praise? Come on, give him a good, a good hand today. Now let's look at the next thing. Jesus encourages us to pray. Verse 5, Jesus said, When you pray, presuming we will, don't be like the Hypocrite. hypocrites or pretenders because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by other people. In other words, one more righteous act, but the motivation is wrong. And Jesus said, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Now, the, the Bible encourages public prayer. The Bible does not say we can't pray in groups of people and someone can't lead. Nine times in the book of Acts, there's public praying. But the point he's trying to make here, once again, is the motivation. You see, I'm inspired when a leader, when somebody leads out in prayer, I can agree with them, our hearts can harmonize, but the danger is if I don't have a home prayer life but try to have a public prayer life. That's when I become a hypocrite. Look at verse 6. And if you want one verse for the day that I think is the most important verse that has the greatest potential to help you in your life, it's right here. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, 
and pray to your Father who's unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. How many have ever heard of the term prayer closet? Yeah, well, this is what it's referring to. It's basically saying, and it doesn't just have to be a room with a door, but it's basically saying you need to have a regular place that's quiet, that's not full of distractions. You don't need a TV. You probably don't need your phone in there. But you need a place where you can just go and be with God, read your Bible, worship, and pray. Now, let me tell you this. Everybody needs a prayer closet. We all do. It is the anchor of a strong spiritual life is your daily devotion. Now, I want you to hear me. If you hadn't listened to anything else today, listen to this one. I've been a Christian over 40 years. I've been in vocational ministry over 35. One thing I have observed in my personal life and the lives of others, those Christians that tend to be the most consistent in their walk with God are the ones who have a daily time with God. They have tracked ministers and, 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 and uh, key church leaders and those who fell away from God, who fell into immorality or some kind of corruption in their lives. The only thing that they could correlate with was they didn't have a time with God. It is something about, it's like putting every time you go in your prayer closet, every time you read your Bible, this is why we have a Bible app where you can read along the Bible with us. It's on our app or it's on a, it should be perhaps in the back of your chair there. You're reading Old and New Testament. You're praying. You're spending time with God. It's like putting a log on the fire. Now, I don't know if you like fires. I, I love them. I've got a little bit of wood going, but my wife will have it burn up in a couple weeks. Uh, but I'm going to get some more. But I know this. I know I can build the biggest fire that, I, that my fireplace will hold. I mean, it is perfect. It is roaring. But after a couple hours, that thing has basically become embers. And if I want it to keep burning and putting out life-giving heat and warmth, I've got to add to the fire. And this is exactly what I'm talking about in our devotion life. Uh, verse 7, Jesus said, When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. Not sure what that means, but this gives us an insight. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Now that suggests that they're either saying the same thing over and over again or, or it's perhaps a long prayer. I believe prayers from the heart are better than reading prayers or what someone else wrote. I believe the best thing that you can do is that you can pray from your heart to God. But I'm going to suggest, as Jesus taught in a moment, that you pray the model of the Lord's Prayer. Listen to this, verse 8. Jesus said, don't be like these hypocrites. And then he says something pretty cool. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, it begs the question, then, why should I pray? If God already knows, why, sh why do I need to pray? Well, let me help you with this, friends. Prayer is not telling God something he doesn't know. I texted my brother yesterday. He's a farmer there in Mississippi. They've had a wet fall. Uh, they farm about 3,000 acres. Uh, they still lack 1,000. Uh, how many know that's, that's a lot of soybeans that's out in the rain, and the rain doesn't do anything for them when they're, it, it's a tough time? Well, how many know my brother doesn't need to pray, God, in case you don't know, but Senatobia, Mississippi, and Hernando need, doesn't need any more rain. We need two weeks, God, because you see the way, the way you made soybeans is they get ripe this time of the year. And, Lord, you made them that when they're ripe, they'll fall out and they'll fall on the ground. And if they fall on the ground, I won't be able to pick them up and we'll lose our farm. So, God, would you please let it be dry? God doesn't need you to tell him that. And God doesn't need you to say, please, God, please make it dry. God, would you please, pretty please make it dry. God, if you'll just please, please let it be dry. God, that's not what prayer is about. Listen, prayer, uh, prayer, it creates dependence on God. 
Prayer creates dependence on God. Prayer is how you submit to God and find His direction. You're thinking about getting married. You're thinking about quitting your job or buying a house. You go to prayer and you ask the Lord for His direction. Prayer is how we find God's direction. Prayer will build our faith. I cannot go into the place of prayer troubled and come out with, come out with my trouble if I'll take time to pray. There's something peaceful about the place of prayer. It gets you closer to God not as a means to twist his arm. Now, let me take just a moment before I wrap up, and let me tell you how Jesus taught us to pray. It's in verse 9, and I'm not going to spend much time with this because in July we did a six-week series on prayer. If you missed it, you might go back to it. But I'm going to suggest this ladder is intended to be a picture of our prayer life. I'm going to suggest to you there's the first step, which is how we approach God. There's one, two, three, four petitions and there's a way that you close your prayer. This is not just what you recite in 12 seconds, but this gives structure. I, I need structure and spontaneity. Because if I just go to prayer based on what I feel, here's what I'd pray today. Lord, let Rebecca be safe as she comes back uh, in town. Pick up the baby, let him be safe, and let the baby get back there safely. Lord, help me feel better today. My medicine just threw me out of whack. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, what else would I pray? Lord, uh, let it dry up so I can plant my pansies. And that's pretty much what I feel. Oh, Lord, help Dr. Lacey. He's very ill. As Travis needs a kidney. You know, help the people that are in hurricane. But that's pretty much all I feel. I need some structure to help me move along in what God calls priorities. Here's the first step, and you'll see it there. It'll be on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God is your Father. He is all-powerful. He, he's not the man upstairs. He cares about you. When you're talking to God, particularly in your troubles, you're not talking to an unfeeling ogre. You're talking to about a Father who loves you. Hallowed be his name means that God is holy and he's reverent. He's not daddy-o. Now, this is where I find most interesting. These two steps, the first one is about God and His priority. The second is about me and mine. In the natural, here's where I want to start. I might say, you know, thanks for being nice to me, but I quickly want to go and say, God, please let it stop raining for Robert. God, I got three flats of pansies, and I would sure like to plan them tomorrow. Lord, our checkbook is a little low. Would you help us out? This is daily bread. But the first thing, before you pray for that, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Because your prayer life orients you properly towards God. See, you're not the center of the universe. God is. And this is where partnership happens. And it's from this point you can pray, Lord, bless my wife and the team as they go on missions. You know, bless Dave as he goes to India. Lord, bless the people that are rebuilding the hurricane. Bless the upcoming election season. All these things that we're praying for God's will to be done in. And then we go to our daily bread. Now listen, I have no problem there. I've got, it just flows out of me. Lord, let the ducks be here this year in duck season. Lord, I just pray. I, just, I pray my house would appreciate it and I'd make some money one day. I pray my stock, you know, this is easy to pray. God, help me in my job. Let my business prosper. Give me strength. I feel weak today. There's two that I neglect sometimes that I have tried to underscore as of late. Jesus said on this step, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the things I do wrong. A constant reorientation. But he also says, forgive, uh, I want, I'm, I'm going to forgive those who sin against me. 
And this step is so profound when the Lord's Prayer's teaching is over. The next verse in the Bible goes back to forgiveness. We'll talk about it. This one is a big one. Lord, keep me from temptation. In other words, Satan is out there to knock you down. He's out there to rob from you. He's out there to hurt you. He's scheming after you. You can't just fight it in your flesh. You need God to help you. Keep me from temptation and deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from evil. And then the close. If we had an acrobat or a gymnast in here, they could get up here. But the ladder patrol won't let me. <laughs> For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It's like it starts with worship and it ends with worship and faith. That's how you pray, friends. You don't just pray it by saying it in 10 seconds, but walking a cheap step. And I promise you I do this every day. Let me wrap up verse 14. Jesus encourages us to forgive people who do us wrong. Now, don't forget, we were just on that next to the, la or the uh, second from the last step, the third petition. And then Jesus adds these words. He said, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father but if you don't forgive others their sins, now that sounds pretty serious. Most scholars don't believe, though, that you're losing your salvation. This is not suggesting, is it, when I forgive, then I'm going to be saved. And if I don't forgive, I'm not going to be saved. It's talking about your relationship with God, your personal fellowship with God. Now let's look at some words here, the definitions of forgive, guilt, and pardon. To forgive means that I pardon or overlook an offense. That I treat the offender as... Even though they are guilty, I treat them as not guilty. Now the word guilt is probably the key in all of this. To be guilty means to have done wrong and deserve punishment. Let me tell you, the person who fired you unjustly deserves punishment. The person that beat you up when you were a child deserves punishment. If you're a part of the Me Too movement, that person that did that to you, they deserve punishment. Yep. A person that abuses a child deserves punishment. A person that robs and steals from you. A person that speaks evil of you because of the color of your skin. A person that, that makes jokes about your race or about your handicaps. That person deserves judgment. They deserve punishment. But the word pardon means to release the offender to suffer the punishment. In other words, though you deserve, because of what you've done to me, you deserve to be whacked, but I'm going to forgive you instead of whacking you. And that's, that's easy to sit in Sunday and say, I agree with you, Pastor, but that's real hard to live out. But it was so important to Jesus, it's in the Lord's Prayer every day. And it was the next thing, last thing that he mentioned. Now, let me say this to you. No matter what anyone has done to you, it's not worth it to hold on to the offense. Because your fellowship with God will be broken. Your whole outlook of life will be changed. I suggest to you, if you harbor unforgiveness, you'll, 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 you, you might have been a fun-loving person. You'll become bitter and sullen. You'll always be blaming. You'll always be a victim. And let me illustrate it for my own family if I can. I, had the, I was privileged to be able to grow up with grandparents and great-aunts. Uh, my great aunt, my grandmother's uh, sister, was a short little Italian lady. Her name was Aunt Grace. And uh, Grace would just, she was tough and sassy. And she had those little dogs that just run around your house that are about that tall. You know what I'm talking? 
Well, Grace, Grace, that, that was her house, but she loved us kids. I'll tell you what. Now, this was, this was, who? this was 50, 55 years ago. Every time you'd go to Grace's house, she'd open this box and out would come a $5 bill. And our parents would always say, don't you give those kids that money. And we would secretly be saying, yes, Auntie Grace, yes, Auntie Grace. And, and she just, she could and she did and she loved us. And, and we loved her. I mean, she was a special lady. But something I watched as I grew up and, and I watched Aunt Grace age, it, she had a bitter streak, mean streak in her. And I learned about her life that when she was young, I never could get any details out of the family, but when she was young, she got married to someone and they divorced her. Very short divorce and, and annulled the marriage. She never married again, whereas her sisters both married and had children. And this is just my perception, but I think Aunt Grace became bitter because she wouldn't forgive. Now let me tell you about another person that deeply impacted me. My uh, grandmother on my mom's side, I called her Mama. Mama was the sweetest person I think I've ever met. She was uh, a Latvian, and uh, she probably went through more heartache than anyone in this room. Uh, Mama came to America, legally immigrated, got off a ship in, in uh, uh, New Orleans. But her journey didn't start there. It started in Latvia in World War II when the Russians came into their town. And this is what communist regimes do. They took the guns of the citizens. And when they disarmed the people, the next thing they did is they went in the town, they took out every civic leader. My grandfather was the postmaster. She was a school teacher. So they took my grandfather in the middle of the night. He had no way to defend himself, so they tied him up with barbed wire, put him on a train to Siberia. Miracle story about how he escaped, but he got back to his home. He got his family. Uh, he got everything he could in a horse and wagon, and they left behind a nice, beautiful home, 300 acres of land, a farm, uh, businesses, money, all that they had, and uh, they left. And they spent the next few years wandering around Europe in uh, uh, camps, uh, refugee camps, eating turnips or potatoes or moldy bread. And, uh, uh, but yet, and then the worst thing that happened is two of her sons were conscripted by the Germans, I think, by the German army, which that means two of her kids, she, they just came in and took them and she never saw them again. She gets off this boat ride not knowing anybody, not having anything in New Orleans, and someone at that time in our immigration policy, we'd sponsor families. And someone that didn't know them sponsored them, and Grandma's working on a turkey farm. Come on now. You're working on a turkey farm all day. You're walking around turkey poop, and all day long you're smelling that smell. Pretty soon they evolved, and they were able to work for a dairy, and then one day they got their own dairy. Well, here's my point in all this. I never heard her say an evil, angry, hateful word. She had the sweetest disposition about her. She was kind. She was loving. She helped broken and needy people, other people that were neglected, people that, had, you know, you know, you, you know how it goes. But she had something about it. And as I thought of those two people, that both love me and both love God. But one of them, I believe, Mama forgave. And Aunt Grace held on to the bitterness and pain. Remember the story, I, the video I showed you last week? And it was a true story about a woman whose son uh, was murdered. Teenage boy, her only child, was murdered. She was a Christian woman, and she actually went to the jail where the murderer was 17 years later, and she went in and told the boy she forgave him. Well, when he got out of prison, guess where they moved him? By her choice, they moved that boy right next to the woman whose son she murdered. 902 and 904, and this newscaster did an interview about her forgiveness. They were talking about why she forgave, and she said this, Forgiveness was not for him. Forgiveness was for me. 
And this is why Jesus said we need to forgive other people the way God has forgiven us. Even research studies today have shown that people will have less stress and live longer lives if you learn to forgive. And that's the message of Jesus today. Jesus' message to us today, be a giver, be someone who prays, be someone who forgives. Let's stand to our feet right now. I'm sure glad you came today. Honored to have you here. I just want to say today that I love you. Before you think about Cracker Barrel or wherever else you're headed, pot roast at home, could you give God about five minutes to, and I'm going to say this, preaching is like sowing seeds. And the first thing the seed does when it falls in fertile soil and the sun is shining is it put down a root. Well, here's what I want you to ask the Lord to do in the next moment. Put down a good root, Lord, in my giving life, my care for the poor. Put down a good root in me, Lord, in my prayer life. Put down a good root in me, Lord, in forgiveness. Just close your eyes just a moment and Pastor Zach's just going to sing this softly, this worship song. I exalt you. But let the Holy Spirit talk to you. That's the purpose of this moment. Thank you, Father. Exalt you. bow your heads a moment and I'm going to pray but perhaps it might resonate with you Lord you've shown us the way to go you've shown us Lord that you want us to not be a hypocrite to be the same at home as we are in the world you don't want us to teach a class at church if we're not reading the Bible at home you don't want us to worship on the platform if we're not worshiping at home so let all our hearts let there be a continuity about our life let our public life just simply be an outflow of our private Lord, today I want to ask you to help me be a giver. Forgive me if I'm stingy. Forgive me, Lord, if I love money more than I love God. Help me show my love today by caring for the poor, by honoring the Lord with my tithe, by doing anything I can, Lord, to give offerings to advance your kingdom. It pleases you. But let me do it in a way that it doesn't draw attention to myself, but bring glory to God.
Lord, I want to ask you today to help me renew my prayer time. For those of us that don't even have a prayer closet, I pray right now we'd think of a place. Right now. And that becomes our prayer closet. And we go in that place with the Bible and leave the cell phone outside. It's a quiet room. It's a quiet desk. For some, it's a porch. Looking at the flowers. But it's some place to be alone with God. And I pray, God, that we would use it every day. And I pray that you would work in us the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. That I wouldn't just pray when I am in trouble or I have a need. But I would pray every day, God, consistently. Starting with worship and thanks. And then going to asking for your will and your kingdom to be done before I pray for myself. And Lord, this one on forgiveness. I want you to, let's illustrate it this way. I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to just make two fists in your hand. And I, I wonder if someone is in that fist. By that I mean just a symbol. But is there someone that has hurt you and that has violated you? Someone that has divorced you, raped you, stolen from you, belittled you? And it's just hard to let them go. Now, I'm going to encourage you to make a deliberate choice of forgiveness and just open your hand. And I want to pray for that person right now that hurt you as you have the courage to forgive them and pardon them. They are guilty. What they did was wrong. But you turned them over to God. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you to take them now and to take the burden from us so that our heart might be free and clear. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Let's close this way. One last prayer. If you need personal prayer, we're going to have one last song. Our prayer team will come up front for any that want individual prayer. And we'd be delighted to pray with you about anything. There'll be no time pressure. But if you're here today, the most important prayer I'd like to pray for you go is about your personal relationship with God. Coming to church is a good thing, and I hope it makes you feel closer to God. But that's not what makes you a Christian. Coming to church might help you. You might learn some good things. You might feel better about yourself, but that doesn't save you. Salvation, being born again, being able to truly be a Christian and follower of Christ, someone that's going to heaven, has taken a very deliberate step in life. That person has invited Christ to be their Lord and Savior. It's an invitation. I used the illustration earlier in the second service. Pastor Travis met his wife, now Whitney, in the fifth grade. And if you can imagine that, they were, they were fifth grade in, in hooks together. But at some point, he saw that girl and thought, wow, she's cute. And at some point, she looked at him and said, he'll grow into it. <laughs> and I'm just teasing him. He's, I'm very proud of Travis. But at some point, they had to say hello on the playground. At some point, they had to meet. And at some point, they made a commitment of their lives together. Being in the classroom wasn't enough. Well, what I'm giving you an illustration of now, at some point you have to meet Christ. At some point you have to ask Jesus to be your Savior. At some point you have to ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins and give you a brand new start in life. Well, that can happen today. If you're here today and you want to commit your life to Christ, or maybe you've gotten away from God and you want to come back to the Lord, we'd be honored to pray with you. And the way we'll do that, when they begin to sing this song, you just slip out of your chair and come right over to the cross, a symbol of what Jesus did. And we will help you as you pray to express your belief in Christ and your willingness to follow Him. It's not joining the church. We're here to help you right now. I promise you we won't embarrass you as you make the greatest step of your life, committing your life to Jesus Christ.
Go ahead and begin to play now, Pastor Zach. He's going to begin to play. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. They're here to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. But most importantly, if you need to get your life right with God, slip out of your chair. We'll meet you at the cross. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. I love you and thanks for coming.